Hello and welcome to the Father Daughter Book Club. I am one of your hosts, the Father Chris. And I'm the other host, Kalia, the daughter. And today we will be discussing A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle. And we are so excited to, well, I know for sure I'm excited Same. to finally have read this book with you, Kalia. <laughs> I've been trying to get you to read I this know. book for, I think, years. years. <laughs> It always shows up on your summer reading lists, and I yeah. say, oh, you should read that one, and you end up not. But I'm glad that we finally got around to it, Yay. and I'm so excited. This is... And I am actually really glad that I read it now, so... <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a classic. Yes. This is a children's classic, um, science fiction, fantasy, uh, good versus evil, lots of great themes in this book. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background on the book, it was published... On January 1st, 1963, it received a Newbery Medal, the Sequoia Book Award, and the Lewis Carroll Shelf Award. So highly decorated book, and it's also the first in a series of books about yes. the main characters here. I'm actually uh, reading one of the series. I'm reading another book in the series. Oh, so you finished this one and just jumped right into the next yeah. one, huh? <laughs> yeah, there's five books in the series. This is the first. And it kind of, it really it's sets the, the table most, for the world yeah. that, that we're, we're inhabiting it's, here. I feel like this is the most known well book. It's the most, most well-known book in the series. Yeah, it probably is. So before we continue, we have to warn you. There will be spoilers, obviously, because we're going to be discussing the whole book. We'll be discussing... We, we'll, we'll see how long the discussion lasts. If this discussion lasts a long time, we're going to split this into two parts. So that way you don't have, you're not inundated with a super long episode. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. But always beware of spoilers. Uh, so if you haven't had an opportunity to read this book yet, press pause. Go get the book. If you don't even have the book, go get it. Borrow it from someone. Go to the library and get it. Or and just read. read it. Whatever. Read it and then come back to us. Resume the podcast so that way you're not upset by anything that we'll be discussing because you haven't gotten to that part in the book yet. Like I said, I, I, I'd advise just reading the whole book before you listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this um, discussion I want to do a little bit differently than we've done in the past. Okay. Typically, we've kind of gone through chapter by chapter and discussed yeah. what's happened and, you know, had asked questions and things like that. But, but since today we, we're going to do the overall. One, yeah, since we both we? already read yeah. the entire book, um, I, it would be uh, time consuming to go through it chapter by chapter. So, you know, I want to talk about the characters, yeah. um, some some concepts that are important to the book. And I and, know I already asked you this, but my favorite character in this book is Charles Wallace. Yeah, oh, hang, or, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're, we got to get through the preamble first. Okay. We're not done yet. Um, so I want, like I said, I want to talk about uh, the characters in the book. Then there are some important locations yeah. in the book. And then we have some discussion questions that I found from the, let me get it, get this right here. From the the Multnomah County Library. Oh. Um, so there's some discussion questions that they have and some that I had on my own that I want to get into. All um right. So, but before we get into all of that, let's read the synopsis for this book. Okay. This synopsis I got from Sparknotes, and it says, A Wrinkle in Time is the story of Meg Murray, a high school-aged girl who was transported on an adventure through time and space with her younger brother Charles Wallace 
and her friend Calvin O'Keefe to rescue her father, a gifted scientist, from the forces of evil that hold him prisoner on another planet. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Mysterious. Ooh. Yeah, and I thought that was a really good synopsis that Sparknotes had there. Um, let's get into it. You you had a question. Let's start I know, there. I'm not sure about you, but my favorite character in this book is either Mrs. Who or Charles Wallace. I really like those characters because or Mrs. Watson. I like them all. But I feel like I have a better understanding of Charles and Mrs. Who than like I feel like Meg is more straightforward. And it's kind of one-faceted, because she's really only, like, the math and science. She doesn't like words or history that much. And that's Calvin (laughs) O'Keefe. And I feel like Charles Wallace is very misunderstood. Okay, so let's kind of uh, talk about the principal characters here. You've gone into a little bit of detail about each of them. So let's, let's kind of set the table a little bit more. Yeah. So the book centers around the Murray family. Yes. The members of the Murray family are Margaret, who's the eldest. His nickname is Meg. People call her Meg. She's as... No, she's not the oldest. Wait. Yeah, she is. Never she's mind. the oldest. <laughs> um, and she's in high school. She's probably like 13, 14. They don't specifically say her oh. age, but that's what we're guessing. Um, she has a younger brother, Charles Wallace. Who's five years old. And or is he four years old? I think he's four years old. No, he's six. He's five six. turning six, I think. Because he's not in school yet. No. So I think he's four, almost five, right? Okay. Somewhere but around there. But he's very bright for a four turning five-year-old. Right. He's the youngest of the Murray clan. And then and, Sandy and, and Dennis. They say he's very bright, but actually the, the town thinks he's, he's dumb. dumb because he doesn't say anything. And that's why I said that he's very misunderstood. He's extremely misunderstood. Actually, I think Meg is kind of misunderstood, too. She has she trouble at school um, because her grades aren't good. And all, they think she's dumb, too, right? Because she doesn't do well in class. Well, she's actually very bright in math and science. Well, they don't know that, though, at school, right? She gets poor grades and they just they don't know how to yeah. explain or, or kind of get the best out of her at school. Whereas they always compare her to her parents, who are brilliant scientists, and her parents are Dr. Alexander Murray and, and Dr. Catherine Murray. Yes. Again, both of whom are scientists. They're very bright. They do crazy work. They have their own lab at home. And, yeah. And so these, these are very bright people. So the expectation is that Meg would also be bright, but the school doesn't recognize that. However, the parents do. They yes. recognize that. Meg is Meg learned different ways to do things like math. So when she kind of skips ahead and doesn't do things the way that they're teaching her in school, they think that she's dumb. And that's not true. We know she's very smart, especially at things like math. The uh, excuse me, Margaret and Charles Wallace. I say Margaret, but let's call her Meg. Meg. Meg and Charles Wallace um, also have twin uh, twin brothers. Sandy and Dennis. Right, and so those two are the middle children yeah so meg's the oldest then it's sandy and dennis who are about 10 years old oh and then oh, yeah. uh, charles wallace who's four or five somewhere around there and so that's the murray family they are all kind of unique in their own way um we we see early on that they protect each other they get into 
Meg gets a, into a fight in the very first chapter because um, someone was uh, making fun of her. Yeah, brother. Uh, someone was making fun of her brother Charles, right? I think the most... Um, oh, I have something that I was kind of like, I didn't like it. But when she walked in, Sandy and Dennis said, Meg, why not just let us do the fighting? I mean, like, we're the men in the family. Let us. When I feel like they're kind of saying that Meg isn't tough enough because, mm. and that was kind of like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about them because. That's an interesting way to look at it. I hadn't, I hadn't looked at it that way. I thought they were more just being protective of their sister. It could be that, but I felt like. You felt like it was a little sexist? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it may well have been. Like they said, well, you're a girl, you shouldn't be fighting. Mm-hmm. Very well, very well may have been. Uh, the most, I think, interesting thing about this family, maybe not interesting, it's kind of sad, actually, is that... Their father. Their father's been missing. Mm, well... Not missing, but just away on a he's, trip. He's been away for work. Yeah. And... He's been away for quite some time, for several years. Mm-hmm. The it's not that he's dead or anything. Just... Well, they don't they don't really know, right? Because yeah. uh, he was this, he works for the government and he was away on assignment for the government. And they said during the first year there was constant communication, but then after about a year they stopped hearing from him. So they really have no idea what happened, what's going on, um, the town. Seems to think that he's either left them or he's dead. But Catherine, the mom, their mom, still doesn't believe that. No. She still thinks that. And she's still sending letters to him frequently. The government hasn't really told them anything about what's going on. So this is the big mystery at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Like, what happened to their father? And it kind of actually is the reason this book they go on this huge me. adventure, right? Yeah. A rescue mission, as as uh, the spark note said. <coughs> so also early on in the book, we get introduced to Mrs. What's it? What's it? What's it? Like what? Oh. What's and it? What's oh. it? Mrs. What's it? I thought it was What's it. <laughs> so it's it's like who, which, and what? You know yeah. those those words. So we get introduced to actually all all three of these characters: Mrs. What's it, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Which. And on one of the covers, you can actually see all three of them. So there are these strange... People. Well, not people, but like... M- kind of immortal. Myst- mystical beings. Like, they're kind of like immortals. Because in the book, they say that Mrs. What's-It is very... <laughs> it seems old for us, but she's actually one of the youngest in... Yeah, they say their she, world. They say she's a baby, and she's really, how do they say, like two million years yeah. old or something like that. So, uh, you know, of course, no human has ever lived that long. Imagine uh, calling a two million year old being uh, a baby. That's <laughs> yeah, crazy, right? Uh, so these characters kind of push themselves into the lives of the Murrays. Mm-hmm. Well, not all of them, just. Meg and Charles, not Sandy, Dennis, not Sandy or Dennis, but yes, Mrs. Murray. All right, so Mrs. What's it is is the one who meets 
the family, right? Because um, how do they except explain for the it? Twins. Right, except for the twins. She meets the family, and she's kind of this weird creature, uh, creature, weird person. They think she's like an old tramp, right? Because of the uh, of the way she looks. She's got like all these layers of clothes on and big boots one... and. Did you know? Do you remember in the book where about the stolen sheets? She was yes. the one who stole the sheets. Yeah, so that's kind of like a mystery around town, right? Somebody stole uh, one Bunkley, of the community members' sheets, and it, like, who? Why would somebody steal sheets? And Charles Wallace, who's actually met Mrs. What's It and all of the Mrs. Uh, Except from oh yeah. Yeah. He's met them all before. He has a suspicion that it was Mrs. What's It who took the sheets. And before we get into that, what's what do you think is unique about Charles Wallace? We we kind of get a little hint of it at the beginning of the book. You don't have to raise your hand. It's I just know. the two of us. I know. But I but Charles Wallace, I know this term from another book, but I'm not gonna use it. He can sense feelings of Miss Murray, Mrs. Murray, and um, Meg. And it's, I know the word for it in another book, but I'm not going to say it because I don't want to spoil it, or can I? Well, I mean, just the word that I would use based on what I've read here is he's maybe telepathic or empathic. Like he, he, It's empathic. He senses what people are feeling, so... The first and instance that we get of that in the book it's is... It's called Kaizen in another book. Oh, yeah. Let's not get into that because that's definitely spoilers for another book. Sorry. <laughs> right? So so he's he's uh, very intuitive. Yes. And in the, and in the book we learn... And he only really chooses to do that with Meg and Mrs. Murray. He doesn't really do that to Sandy or Dennis. And I feel it's because he has a closer connection to the girls instead of them, instead of the twins. Yeah. So, it's kind of like, he's very intelligent, bright, and a bunch of stuff. Like, he knows way more than the normal four or five-year-old. I mean, he's so intuitive. So um, intelligent. So intelligent. It's almost it's almost hard to believe he's he's as old as he is, yeah, or as young as he is, I should say. Uh, that's his his abilities are going to be very important later on in the book. Yes, they are extremely important later on in the book. Um, but a more more about Mrs. What's It, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Which. Um, what's the word that Calvin uses to describe them later on? Uh... The term. Obviously, like you said, they're kind of in these immortal beings. Yeah, but like there what, what is he... a term. Yeah, he... Do you remember what page? I don't remember the page. I just remember him referring to them as guardian angels. Yeah, I believe so. And I think that's really important because throughout the book, they are this constant um, presence of, I mean, I'll just use the word guardianship. Yeah. They kind of guide the children in their mission but they don't help them directly help them you know they give them advice they give them um gifts yes they give them things that will help them on their quest but they don't step in i mean other than traveling back and forth between planets and stuff 
they don't actually step in and do anything for the children. No. So that's, I think, uh, really a good way to characterize them as guardian angels. I feel like Meg, though, is insecure about herself. Because in the beginning of the book, she says that she has glasses, like brown, not nice hair. And people don't really think that she's that attractive. And her mom is. And I was just like skimming through the book. And it says, I should be more like mother. I should be able to control myself. And I should be like prettier. She is always comparing herself to her mom. Yeah, she's extremely insecure, and it, and it has a lot to do with the way she's treated at school, um, the fact that she's not as, doesn't have as much potential as maybe Charles Wallace does. She doesn't think that she's up to her parents' standards, and particularly her mother's, right, because her mother is described as this very beautiful woman, and she's obviously a doctor with all these degrees and and brilliant scientist. So, yeah, I think that has led to her insecurities, especially because she's teased by the other kids. She gets into fights. You know, it's I think it's difficult for her. Which kind of made me feel like I don't necessarily feel sad for her, but I feel like if she just had a little bit more encouraging and like that, she wouldn't feel so bad about herself. And then she wouldn't feel sorry for herself. Well, that's the the growth of a person. And I think throughout this book, we see Meg grow. And by the end of the book, there's a task that she recognizes only she can complete. So she has to have the confidence to go in and get it done. Otherwise, her brother could be lost forever. Yeah. She has to go and rescue her brother. And... Nobody can do it for her. Her dad can't do it for her. Mrs. What's-It can't do it for her. It has to be her. And she recognizes that she has the capacity to do it. And and she doesn't sh- you know, shy away from the mission, the task. And so she gets it done. Mm-hmm. So that's a, in stark contrast to the person she is at the beginning of the book, right? Where she, she may not have been able to do that on her own. But through all the, the trials that they face throughout the book, and there are many. Yes. You know, she she's able to, at the end, realize um, this great capacity for love. And, you know, problem, she actually solved this riddle almost in order to save her brother from this mind brainwashing person. Cre- creature. And it's not even a person. It's an it. They call it's, it it. It's a brain. They literally call it it. All right. So another, char- it another character that waiting. another character that we've kind of glossed over. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit more about him before we Calvin? continue. Is is Calvin O'Keefe? I knew it. Of course, yeah. He's he's the other person that they went on the trip on. Right. He's a little bit older than Meg, a couple of grades ahead of her in he's school. Eleventh. Um. He's he's fourteen. Seen as this popular popular jock. jock. Smart. Yeah. But. He says that, you know, he kind of does that just to put on a show. He, We find out, find that he's very sweet. One of how many kids? Eleven kids. I think he's yeah. got he's got a bunch of siblings. Um, the family may not be as caring as he'd like them to be because they don't even care that he's 
like the the reason they stumble upon him, you know, is because Meg and and Charles Wallace are going to go meet Mrs. What's it mm-hmm. at their well, the house that they've kind of occupied, the haunted house, the haunted house that they call and it, and they come across Calvin, and Calvin's a boy that Meg's never really talked to, Charles has never met. They kind of meet in this serendipitous way because Calvin just had an instinct, an urge to go to the house. And so he goes. He follows his instincts. And then he gets to meet Mrs. Whatsit and Mrs. Witch and Mrs. Who. He gets to meet the Murrays and their mom. And he identifies really quickly with the Murrays because of the way their home is and the fact that they're scientists and they're they happen to be into a lot of the things that he's into, despite the fact that at school he's not seen as this nerdy kind of a person. When he's around the Murrays, he's like, oh, these are my people. I can be myself now. And you see his his inner nerd come out, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we also see that he's, again, he's got a little bit of that same kind of intuition that Charles Wallace has. Maybe not as strong no. as him, but he's able to, again... Just based on instinct or an urge uh, he, to, go. to go to the haunted house. So he kind of uses that throughout the book and follows his instincts um, to kind of get them out of some sticky situations. And, you know, yeah, he, he, he's also and got a little bit of that, not telepathy, but um, instinct, strong instincts. Yeah. I actually kind of think that Meg and Calvin O'Keefe kind of like each other. Yeah, it they seems uh, like they do. Well, Calvin is the first person that's ever told Meg that she's pretty. Yes. Did you notice that? Like yeah. she takes off her glasses and Calvin looks into her and says, oh, you have the most beautiful eyes or maybe not those Blue words. Eyes. You have these gorgeous eyes and nobody's ever given Meg a compliment like that before. No. And um, he said, like, I'm, she says, like, I'm blind, I'm blind without them. And he said, okay, we'll never take off your glasses again because I, I want to be the only one who sees your beautiful blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah, and and they have a lot in common. I definitely think they they grow to like each other over the course of the book. Um, Meg, I think, gets to trust Calvin really quickly, so much so that you know she looks to him for strength and um, wants to hold his hand in dangerous situations, all of that stuff. And actually, Meg, we see Meg's side of math and smartness and intelligence when Calvin asks her when Calvin needs help on math homework because Meg is very bright in math so she asks Calvin like okay does like do you have to follow these specific ways and he's like no as long as we get the right answer and then she shows us and it was so easy for her he realizes, wow, I thought she was kind of dumb. Right. So we're learning, again, something that we talked about with the last book we read is that you can't always gauge people based on or judge people based on what you see of them outwardly. You know, Calvin is looked at as this jock, but he's not really. Meg and Charles Wallace, people think are dumb, dumb, but they're not. They're really intelligent people. They're just misunderstood. Yeah. So again, we we learn that you have to dig deeper into people. You can't always judge them. By their cover. Not necessarily just based on their cover, but also 
what other people have said about them. Mm-hmm. You know, people are deep. We're, you know, we're, we're not... Sh- most, we're multifaceted. Most people aren't shallow. Some people are. You know, and some people, like, what you see is what you get and that's it. But uh, you, you really got to get to know someone in, t- in order to understand who they are, especially when they're misunderstood, much like ca- all of these characters, all of these kids are, seem to be misunderstood about who they really are. Yeah. So the children have a mission. Yes. Right. To save Meg and Charles Wallace's father. And the again the guardian I have a angels. Question, though. Okay. Why do they call him Charles Wallace? Is that his middle name instead of just Charles? Is it like Charles Wallace Murray or something? Because his name I... is his name. So some people sometimes they have two names. They're two two named Shoot. in their first name, like. You know, Deborah Ann, or maybe in this case, Charles Wallace. So his name might not just be Charles. His name could be Charles Wallace. That's his whole name. Wallace isn't a middle name. It's part of his first name, Charles Wallace. So that's why they call him Charles Wallace. I'm like, why do they call him Charles? Seems very formal, doesn't it? Yeah. Charles Wallace. Hmm. (laughs) And it's. Do tell Charles Wallace, what are you going to do today? Are you going to eat some tea and crimpets? Like, it seems seems very formal, right? This seems. Like, they are actually from England when they're from the United States. Yeah. The way, like, they seem, like, very posh, but they're actually not. They're from the United States. Yeah. So they get uh, charged with this this mission. Uh, They find that they're not only going to go look for their father, who's been missing. They're trying to save him. They're trying to save or really just fight against... Uh, an ominous they call it the black thing yes before we get into so the black thing is really important and before before we get into the black thing though that's that at first they thought that it was actually just like the atmosphere covering but it's not before we get into that um there's an important concept i want to talk about um it's something that the murrays the scientist murrays the parents had been researching and it's this concept called the Tesseract. Yes. And Mrs. What's it? The Tesser. Kind of sure. mentioned the Tesseract. And Mrs. Wall, excuse me, what's her name? Mrs. Murray <laughs> was kind of stunned by the fact that she mentioned it. So they explain, she, they, they try to explain the Tesseract. Do you think you can explain it? Well, a Tesseract is kind of like a wrinkle in time. So, they're, like, you're kind of, like, time-traveling. Kind of. Kind so, of. So, they mention, they, they talk about the Tesseract being the fifth dimension. Yes. So, the first dimension is, if the first dimension is a line, and the second dimension is a square, and the third dimension is a cube, cube. the fourth dimension is time, well, the fifth dimension would be a Tesseract. And... Essentially what it is, they, 
in Lengel, she uses the term tesseract, but I think what it's commonly called today is a wormhole. Mm. Where? I've never heard of that. Well, I think I have. I'm just not familiar with So have you heard term. the term, the, the quickest way to travel between point A and point B is a, a straight, str- straight line. line? Well, we find that it's not in this book. According to this book, it's not, right? So in this in this realm of science fiction, the quickest way to travel between two points is to tesser. Mm-hmm. And it's basically folding uh, the line in half. in half so that the two points touch each other. And then you can travel between those two points very quickly. That's basically what tessering is. And it's extremely important because in this book we find that Earth is not the only planet that has... A black thing that they not, call not, it. Not just the black thing, but it, Earth is not the only planet that has um, intelligent life on it. Yes. There are beings elsewhere. Um, our solar system is not the only solar system with, you know, ha- habitated planets. Yes. And they travel from planet to planet by tessering. And that's extremely important because right now, you know, it would take years and years and years for us to travel Centuries, to almost. any other planet outside of the solar system right now. Like, I think the nearest planet. Maybe it's called Alpha Centauri. Oh, I shouldn't get into this because I'm not an astronomer or an astrophysicist <laughs> or anything like that. But um, I think the nearest planet is Alpha Centauri. And they think I think it would take like 25 years or something to get there. If we could get there. Maybe even longer than that. I, I think I'm underestimating. Maybe hundreds of years for us yeah. to get there. But... Through in this book, they they have this concept of tessering, so it it enables them to travel very quickly between planets. There's also something that's very funny that happens in the book while tessering. Mrs. Witch actually sent them to the second dimension planet. It's really funny because, like, (sighs) they're, like, squished, and they're, like, cardboard. She's like... (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if I would call it funny. I think it was scary. Uh, there, so in it's their, funny to in their. Mrs. It's funny to them because they're not three dimensional beings, so they can travel to places that like I'm, that. Yeah. So it's just, scary for just men, kind of though. again again give an explanation. Their ultimate destination is Kamazats. The Kamazats is the planet that. Um, they believe their father uh, is at, but he it's is, so it's such as a we learn it it's such a book. great distance that they still in order they still take stops along the way so yes. they don't test her directly there they test her to um, a, a few planet. other a few other planets before getting there and like like you mentioned one of the planets that they they do test her to is a two dimensional planet and because we're humans are three dimensional beings. We we can't survive there. It's like being squashed. It's like your cardboard, pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, that was it. Was funny to Mrs. What's it and Mrs. Witch and Mrs. Who, but it was not funny at all to Meg or Charles Wallace. or Charles Wallace, who felt like they were going to die. Extremely care, <laughs> extremely scary for them. Um, and then she's like, "Oh, I'm back." And so let's talk about. Um, 
uh, some of these locations then. Uh, there are there are some other important characters, and I think as we get move through the different locations, we'll we'll talk about those characters. Yes. Um. So we mentioned they had to, you know, kind of they they did this uh, in jumps. They were stopping along. The first planet they go to is a planet called Uriel. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? Yeah. Um, I forgot the name. Though. Yeah, that one was an important place because it allowed them to. First of all, see other beings. And this is where they first kind of start to understand that um, Mrs. What's It and Mrs. Witch and Mrs. Who, that they're, they can change appearance. Yes. Because Mrs. What's It turns herself into... Kind of like a... Not a stallion, but like so a stag. They, they described, stag. It, described it as a centaur. Yeah. But with, I feel with, like it's a stag. A stag is just a horse. Really? Yeah. A centaur is like half man, half horse. Mm-hmm. Um, but then this, uh, she also had wings. It was like this beautiful, majestic creature, creature that um, had wings and could fly, of course, because with the wings and um, took them through the black thing, I believe. So this and this is where they first learn about the black thing. And how would the so the black thing is this again a, another really important concept kind of a character also the black thing is this it's actually called ekthori which is like i believe it's called that i'm not sure but yeah. it's like i'm pretty sure because i believe it's like war and i think what it means is just like that is a planet where war happens and that's what i think it is like, when it's covered, it's kind of like this nothingness, but it actually has a very big impact on Earth. And it even they even say that that's why Earth is a very dangerous planet, or so, a troubled planet. The way I understand the black thing, and I mean, I could be wrong too, it's this kind of like a cloud. Black cloud. That covers... Earth and Not just many Earth, other planets. Earth, yeah, it's like this that spread throughout the universe that kind of shrouds which whatever planet that it's covering in just this darkness, this evil um, thing can take over the planet and control it. And it's just it's very. And I believe what it is, it's just like hate and war and just a bunch of evil bad thing yeah it's not as i think they they don't call it like it's not a specific thing it's again as we know that mrs what's it and mrs who and mrs which are kind of these mystical creatures the black thing is even more mystical than they are we know that mrs what's it and mrs which and mrs who they're they're non-corporeal being corporeal beings you know what that means like they it's not like they're real, but they have they they can dismaterialize. I believe. It's yeah. Called. So they're kind of like immaterial you, creatures yeah. where they they can take solid forms, but they don't. That's not their essence, right? That's not the the state that they're always in. They can take other states. So they're non corporeal, kind of like a ghost. Yeah. Um. But again, they have more control over their over themselves, and they can turn themselves into. These majestic creatures on Uriel, 
you know, unicorn centaur type creatures. And they can also turn themselves into uh, looking like old woman as they did when they were on Earth. And so they can take many different forms. And the black thing, again, it's this uh, such a hard thing to describe, to conceptualize. And I think they have a hard time finding the words in English to really describe it because we learn that telepathy is extremely important in the way communication takes place between these guardian angels. And Charles Wallace has is able to understand it deeper than, say, yeah. Meg is because he's able to communicate telepathically or empathically, however you want to describe it. And actually, I believe Meg will be too. You, are you saying I, that because you've read the next book? I haven't finished it, though, but I think Meg will be able to in the future. I think she will grow even more than she already has. Let's not assume, okay? I don't I don't want to go down that route. It's okay. something that it, we know that there are more books in the series. Suffice it to say that in this book, she's not able to communicate that well that way. We see only Charles Wallace do it. There's... Um, bit of calvin a, a little calvin the mrs characters Definitely the guardian can. angels and then um some other more evil characters that we meet later on in the book are able to do it as well um so that are tied kind of to this black thing did you understand i didn't fully understand the relationship between the black thing and it are, is the black thing also covering camazots camazots yes Okay, I wasn't exactly sure about that, but honestly, I kind of understand it. Because in my opinion, Kimzots is kind of like this bad planet, and I feel like because of the black thing, it was created. Or maybe the black thing is it also. so yeah so i i kind I'm of took it exactly sure i took it the opposite way so kamazots is covered by the black thing and i thought that the black thing was being controlled by it that it was the one who created the black thing and then it is the one who is creating or controlling the the planet it is actually controlling the planet but I feel like the black thing was the one who created Who created it? it? Yeah, I don't know. It could, I think it could be either way. So either it created the black thing or the black thing created it. it. As kind of... And maybe so. Maybe every planet that's controlled by the black thing has its own it there. Yeah, I, I'm... I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I'm... that That's, you know, that's a possibility. I'm willing to go with that concept. I think it could be either way. Um, it, it makes sense. Actually, now that I think about it, the more I think you're right, because if it was the one controlling the black thing, then it would only be able to cover one planet at a time. Yeah. But we know that it is covering many planets. Excuse me. The black thing is covering many planets. So on each planet, there's probably an it equivalent that's controlling the planet. For the black thing, so I think that's I think that that makes sense. It's Again, a very this interesting is interesting concept. 
yeah, really interesting concept. And it's spoken about in this kind of supernatural way. So it's hard to kind of get a grasp on it. That's why I like science fiction so much because you, you, you can, and this, and this is actually really a lot of fantasy too. Um, but you can deal with these kind of large overarching concepts and twist it in your own way and give them like their own meaning in your book yeah like so you have the black thing which is this representation of evil and darkness and it is probably like a minion of the black thing and so you know you can give names and like people you know (laughs) to these kind of concepts but even in this book they still remain concepts. They're not fully developed things. They're just, it's like, it's the black thing. It's it. You know, very nondescript words to describe <laughs> these things, right? So we talked about Uriel. Um, that's the first planet that they visit. And they they get a, a view of, it's really the first time they're able to see the black thing, right? Yeah. Um, and then they go visit another planet with the happy medium. The happy medium. One of also my favorite characters. Yeah, yeah she's she's pretty cool. <laughs> and she's able to give them... She has this, like, globe that is able to... to see all planets. And it's the first time they see all that... All galaxies. It's the first time they see that the black thing is covering Earth. And and this is also why, Miss, why the happy medium didn't want to show them Earth. Because it's such... She described it as such a troubling planet because like dismaying almost because of the black thing and when they went through it i feel like after they went through it this is how they understood what they went through at when they came out of um earth i feel like that's how they understood why that there was this big pain in meg and that was why. They they get a bigger understanding of their mission when they see... So the first they get introduced to the black thing and they, they don't like it. It's kind of this weird, ominous creature. And then when they go visit the happy medium, the happy medium shows them just the, the, the danger that the black thing poses to not only their home planet of Earth, but many through, other throughout planets. the universe and so they they initially feel like oh we're you know we're going to go find our father but they realize that oh, we're not just going to go find our father we're going to um fight against this black thing this evil also that's kind of permeating the universe something that happened though is that um they they got to see a star and then it like struck i believe like earth and that like, kind of, they gave its life, like, the star gave its life to the black thing to destroy it. Mm-hmm. And... Well, to it, fight against it. I don't think yeah. this was able to fully destroy it, but... But it lessened, and then it grew back, I believe. And that means that the star was dying. Yeah. And I think Mrs. Murray was, like, kind of, like, touching on that. In a little bit, like, or something. And Mrs. And they also learned that Mrs. What's-It also did that, too, for her to, to fight the black thing. But, in a way, it 
if the black I, things still want. If I understood it correctly, I think what they're saying is that at one point in her short, they call it short, put short in quotes, in her short life for two million years, Mrs. What's It was at one point a star. She gave up her life as a star in the fight against the black thing. And so, you know, you see this kind of sadness from Mrs. What's It as she um, watches it remembers like who who maybe who she was as a star i get the sense that being a star is a privilege it's this very important role and um she gave her life up. she gave her life as a star up you know in this fight against the black thing it's a huge sacrifice that she made huge sacrifice so that's that's the way i understood it we hope you've enjoyed the conversation thus far and that you'll join us next time to conclude our discussion on A Wrinkle in Time. We'd also like to remind you to subscribe to us at fatherdaughterbookclub.com. You can also find us on iTunes, on Google Play, or on Pocket Casts. Please join the discussion also on our website. You can leave us a comment and let us know perhaps what you'd like us to read next. Thank you. Bye.